Hello, my name's Kia. For those of you just joining us in this episode, a quick introduction to myself. I'm an F1 doctor and a UCL grad, and this podcast is here to help you prepare for life as an F1. Hi guys, today we thought we'd put on a FAQ session, so I've got my friends Ayushi and Ken here with me, who are also UCL graduates and are F1s in London hospitals at the moment. If you guys just want to introduce yourself and um, what, what you guys are doing at the moment. Okay, um, hi, I'm Ken. Uh, I'm a UCL alumni. I work at UCLH at the moment. Uh, my first job's job was infectious diseases and now I was working in general surgery and now obviously I'm a COVID F1. Hey I'm Ayushi also UCL F1 and I'm working at Homerton. My first job was gastro and then I did clinical pharmacology um, and I've rotated onto acute medicine now but similarly working on lots of COVID wards. Great and we've just collected a few questions from some of the people in final year currently or well I guess your graduates now so some of the F0s um, but if you have any questions that you would like answered in a later episode, then please submit them to preparingforpractice at gmail.com. That's with the number four. Or submit them to the link in the description below. All right. So the first question um, that we've got is, what would you recommend we recover in order to best prepare for F1? So I think they're talking about knowledge-based textbook kind of stuff. So actually, your knowledge base is going to be quite good at this point. You've just sat your finals even though they were a little bit different to previous years. Um, the sort of stuff that actually will help you for F1 is being on the wards and shadowing a little bit and getting familiar with the structure of what goes on day to day in a hospital. So you know that you're going to probably do a ward round and then after the ward round, make your list of jobs and learning how to prioritise which jobs you're going to be working through first. So things like requesting scans, and speaking to teams and other hospitals, you want to get those things done earlier in the day so that the results can come back before your working day ends or before other teams or other hospitals leave if it goes five o'clock. Ideally, you want to be going home as well. And so it's learning the structure of the day and prioritising, I think, is quite important. So I would agree in saying that I don't think there's necessarily anything you do need to recover. If it puts you at rest, then, you know, if you're starting on cardiology, then just learn your emergency doses for STEMIs and ACS. Um, I know for me, when I started on psychiatry, I just quickly went through the MSE because I thought that would be the only relevant exam that I hadn't um, looked at for a long time. But in general, you're all coming in at a level playing field. I think no matter how well you've done at med school, um, the stuff that you need to know as an F1, like Ayushi said, is sort of irrelevant to, to the medical knowledge. And it's more organisational and just learning how to do the job in the best way possible. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry. Yeah, I think actually the knowledge that you need that you'll be doing independently without seniors around necessarily is prescribing. Mm. So like familiar drug doses or just knowing what the protocols are in the hospital that you're going to be going into. Like, is there a preferred anti-emetic mm. or analgesia that they use? Um, and palliative care prescribing as well is quite handy to have all of those things familiar and ready. Yeah. Um, leading on from that would be things like, what is the prescribing system in your hospital, whether it's e-prescribing or paper prescribing? Yes. 
Yeah, definitely. And those, those kinds of things that hopefully you will learn in your induction that will be trust specific. Um, but e-prescribing is really useful in the sense that it helps with those doses and it makes sure you're not prescribing anything incorrectly, but always use the BNF as well. So you don't have to know the doses off by heart. Obviously, you all know this. Um, mm. But just don't go into panic mode reading that top 100 drugs book the night before because <laughs> you, you've got everything at the tip of your fingers with your with your phone and the apps. Yeah, and pharmacists, I didn't really know what they did outside of dispensing medication. Can I say that? That's no, quite that's, bad. That's fine. Quite no, that's fine. I agree. Yeah, I didn't really know what pharmacists did outside of dispensing drugs before, but actually each ward will have an allocated pharmacist who's there to help you with trickier prescriptions or even the more simple prescriptions if you're mm. confused. Um, and as an F1, a large part of your job is doing TTAs and discharge summaries, and therefore you actually interact with the pharmacist quite yeah. a lot like more than i anticipated yeah and i think that leads us nicely into the next question which is how many are there in a team in one shift and um, so i guess we can talk about maybe introduce the team as a general as what what members there are in the multidisciplinary team and you want to get on um yeah um so that completely depends on the job you're on but for example so i started on infectious diseases um, that included two teams with one F1 in each team, and then a couple of SHOs, two registrars, and then a consultant who will come in in the morning to do a ward around, and then come in in the afternoon to check that everything's gone okay throughout the day. Rest of the MDT, so you obviously have your nurses, you have your nurse in charge who looks after the ward, um, you have your matrons, quite a lot of people, pharmacists that she's already mentioned, ward clerks who do all the admin aspects of things in the ward um can you think of anybody else Yushi? yeah you've got your therapists as well so oh, of course yeah <clears throat> knowing the difference between pt and ot which i did not really know before mm. i started but physios to help people with their mobility and then in terms of getting people home setting up care packages getting equipment delivered that's all done by your occupational therapist so it's useful to like keep on top of your communications with them because often discharge will be dependent on them people become medically fit and then they will come in and do their role as well yeah and all of these mm. people are hugely important in in part of the mtt so it's a really good idea to build good relationships particularly with the nurse in charge that someone can mentioned and the um the discharge coordinator or the pts physiotherapist or occupational therapist just because it makes your life a lot easier Oh, and the pharmacist. So just <laughs> make friends with everyone on the team, really. <laughs> Be nice to everyone. But, um, if, you, if you want good terms with them, then it's a lot easier to coordinate your TTAs and your discharge summaries. Um, and making friends with a nurse in charge would really make your life easier starting out with an F1 because they know the ins and the outs of the wards. Um, if I could just sort of add to that, we've listed lots and lots of people. Um, and you might be a bit confused because you've heard horror stories of people being alone or sort of, without senior support so obviously other things will affect this so annual leave sickness can mm. cause your colleagues like in your medical team to maybe not be there or surgical team a pandemic a pandemic can cause quite a lot of problems <laughs> yeah um takes people up two weeks at a time sometimes um and also the size of your team will depend very much on what kind of hospital you're in so ken is working in a tertiary center his consultant was coming in twice a day I was working in a DGH, my consultant was coming in twice a week. So that's already a very different dynamic. Mm. Um, mm. And will lead to 
slightly different levels of independence, but I would say that you're never as the F1 alone. Even if you feel like you're yeah. physically alone, there's a med reg in the hospital. There's a surgical reg on call. Like you can definitely find the help you need. Yeah. So the next question is, is lunch protected time and will I have dedicated time to eat? <laughs> um, I think the answer is no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> next question. <laughs> So I think the, the important thing with this one is you don't necessarily have a dedicated time to eat or a protected time, but I think increasingly slow, especially at my hospital, everyone is aware that you should be eating. So often the consultants on my shift would be like, have you had lunch? But you need to make a point that you are meant to eat lunch. So try not to skip it. Sometimes the day is really busy and you won't be able to eat, but um, just having a sandwich at your desk it will only take maximum 10 minutes. So really, there's no excuse for why you shouldn't be able to have your lunch. Um, I'm sure there's nothing life-threatening that's going to change in those 10 minutes. But no, you don't strictly have a protected meal time, but you can make a point about it in your teams that you know people should be eating lunch because <laughs> it's not a good idea to go 12-hour shifts without it, which can happen sometimes if you're not, um, I guess, forwards about having to take a break. Like 99.999% of the time, I had lunch and it was usually at least half an hour. Yeah, um, exactly. You will find a structure within your team that works. So often it'd be ward round, make the jobs list, do the urgent jobs and then lunch. And that was just a routine you get into. Sometimes it's 30 minutes. Sometimes it's an hour and 30 minutes because there are quiet days. And sometimes it's 3 p.m. and you realize you haven't eaten and then, then you do have to eat your sandwich at your desk. But that's definitely the yeah. rarity. and. It's the exception, not the rule. There are also lots of free lunches all over the hospital if you know where to look. Um, so at UCLH, we have um, Tuesday lunchtime, we have the uh, teaching run by the acute team. Um, they give free sandwiches and wraps and mm. coffee. Yeah, so um, and there's usually meetings happening on Friday, which is the coding meeting. Um, we tend to order pizza and stuff. So if you know where to look, there's plenty of opportunities to get free food a lot of the teaching events happen during lunchtime so they tend to provide food so yeah that's quite a good point to to hunt them down yeah which you might know because grand round at the royal free we always got lunch there didn't we um and the next question is quite a relevant one to an f1 um is it appropriate for an f1 to speak to a family member alone um i would say uh, depends on the case um, but if you're worried about if it's appropriate for you to speak to the family I would probably the safe bet would be to ask your senior first if it's things like breaking bad news you're going to want to make sure you have all the information mm -hmm. in front mm -hmm. of you and I, th I think it's safer to involve a senior in breaking bad news situations mm -hmm. um, but general conversations I think it's it's fine for you to have with family members yeah definitely I think it's, like you say it totally depends on the context but in general I'm, I'm always speaking to family members just because they want an update or, you know, after the ward round, they want to ask me if everything's okay. And as long as I've got consent from the patient, then that's absolutely fine. You can do it as an F1. But yeah, if it's something more important, like a test result or um, a, a whole meeting that the family wants to have, then it's, it's important to involve your seniors because that's probably out of your remit as an F1. Yeah, I think it's exactly what Ken said. If you find that you're questioning if you should be having that conversation, then it's probably because you need a bit of support there exactly yeah. the next 
two questions I guess are quite hospital trust dependent but it's how many nights or weekends will I be expected to do um, so I guess I could speak from my perspective on this one and then I'll speak to the London guys because there's quite a difference between London and uh, peripheral hospitals or out of London hospitals in terms of nights I've heard so um, at my hospital we're expected to do nights on both the surgical rotation or if you're on acute and usually it's around a, a set of two sets of four nights um, on surgery, but on acute, it's much more than that. Um, and with weekends as well, it was about three weekends in your whole four month block in surgery. Um, but yeah, it just totally depends on the trust. You're never gonna be overwhelmed with nights or weekends, or at least you shouldn't be. Um, and if that is happening, then it will pass. So if you're on an acute rotation, then you'll just have to grit your teeth and bear it for a while. But the 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 better rotors will come in time. So don't get, beat yourself up if you do have multiple nights and weekends. Um, but yeah, what do, you, what do you guys think about that in London? So F1s in London often don't do nights, but at certain hospitals, they do. Hamilton um, is one of those. Um, okay, so in terms of like being worried about your rotor, you can get it checked by the BMA, even if you're not a BMA member. It's a free service that they offer. And you just... Mm. You need to have a copy of your rotor, which is sometimes the first problem, unfortunately. It can take like a while for the rotor coordinator to get that out. Most hospitals, you'll get it well in advance and you can start applying for leave, requesting your time off as appropriate. Um, there is a fact sheet from the BMA that has the rules that rotors should be compliant with as per the junior doctor contract. I'm sure we can put a link to it somewhere in the description for this podcast. Um, and then yeah. you can either check yourself or use the BMA rotor checker. Um, and the other thing is just making sure if you work any bank holidays that you get a day off in lieu for it. And that includes if you should be scheduled for a zero day and it's a bank holiday, you still get an extra day off. Um, they should be able to accommodate it for you, especially if you get your request in early. But if not, if they can't afford to give you time off, make sure you get paid for it. Yeah, And if you have any problems at all, just speak to your BMA rep that there should be in every hospital. And that's a really good point about uh, working bank holidays because sometimes if you don't chase that, you're not automatically given that time off in lieu. So it's your responsibility to know that I've worked a shift on the bank holiday, so I'm entitled an extra day off. And you have to email often um, to get that day off. The next question is, how do shift swaps work? You guys have much more experience with this. So you, you essentially just look at your rotor, which shows everybody else in your team and what jobs they're on, and you just contact them and ask if they're happy to do a swap with you. That's essentially how it works. It's not very complicated. Um, but you have to ensure that if you're on a ward, there's sufficient ward cover. Um, so for example, a surgical ward might expect there to always be at least two juniors. So if you're swapping out of a day to leave only one junior on the ward, then the rotor coordinator wouldn't allow that. Um, so just check with your rotor coordinator what the minimum staffing is. And then if you swap within that, it should be okay. Yeah, and make sure you let somebody else know. I mean, this is, again, hospital dependent. But even if you agree a swap with another F1 for an on-call shift, if you don't tell the rotor coordinator, your name is still the one on the rotor. And therefore, if that person forgot to turn up the shift, you'd be the one sort of responsible to be there. Mm. You hadn't told anybody. Yeah. Yeah, make sure you inform the road coordinator of any swaps. So usually we just um, email the road coordinator and CC the swapped person in 
once we've arranged it between ourselves, <clears throat> just to make sure that everyone is confirming. Thanks everyone for submitting those questions. Go and check out part two where we answer more of your questions and list our top five must-have apps for F1.